We've been in a series for seven weeks. We've called it, What's in a Story? We looked at seven stories that Jesus told, and, and from each of those, just realized, man, stories are powerful, right? And Jesus, when he told a story, he was really good at it. And he had one point that he was trying to communicate in each of those stories. And Maybe there was lots of points, but he was aiming at one, and, and his hearers, more often than not, they got it. Like when Jesus told a story, it was powerful. And so we're starting a series today that we're calling My Story because we want to kind of go from where we were talking about stories and making it really personal, your story, because your story is powerful. Do you believe it? Because sometimes when we, like we just did a couple of baptisms, right, and I get the privilege of hearing those stories beforehand, and I'll just tell you, both those ladies uh, earlier in the week were like, you know, my story's not really, like, huge. I just said, my story's kind of, like, I just have this, and I'm like, no, your story is awesome. And they're like, yeah, I just, I lived, and then Jesus, and here I am. And, and it's cool because our stories are powerful. I don't know what you think about your story, but your stories are powerful because our stories are filled with stuff, right, like, like sadness and joy. Right? Like adventure and uh, <laughs> times of pause. Right? Our, our stories are filled with comedy and tragedy. And these are our stories. We've got great stories. And one thing that's super interesting is that all of our stories are similar. Like they have some things in them that are the same across the board. And so that's what we want to do for five weeks. We want to unpack our story. Now, how do we do that in a room this size when everybody's story is a little different and yet everybody's story has some commonalities? Well, we're going to look at a, a guy by the name of David. We're going to look at just five episodes in his life and draw some common things because I think David is kind of the basis of all of our stories. Do you remember David? Have you heard this name before? Like David, David was a kid. He was like a shepherd. And then David became like a king. And then David had this little episode with a giant named Goliath. Do you, some of you remember this, maybe? Anybody old enough, you've gone to church long enough that you remember this thing called the flannel graph? See, I didn't even bother with that joke in first service because there's so many teens there. They're like, a what? I love flannel, right? And flannel, like David always looks so good on the flannel graph. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's really funny. Um, so, the, but but this, this idea of David, and David has this episode later in life with a woman named Bathsheba. Matter of fact, David and Goliath's story, like that phrase, has made it into our cultural language. So when you watch sports and it's like a team that has no shot of winning against this mammoth team, we call it a David and Goliath matchup or something like that, right? So like, like David, I think, is the basis for all of our stories. And if you've never heard of David before, this is fantastic. His story will be brand new to you, and in it, I think we'll try and dig out kind of the common pieces of all of our stories. So that's what we want to do. And, and as we do that, we're going to drop these things each week that we're calling life symbols, because the reality is that sometimes we forget stuff. I mean, if you're like me, I don't think a lot about the past. I barely think about the present, and my head is somewhere in the future, right? So when I finish something, I, evaluating it is hard for me. I'm just on to the next thing. I have to remember to stop and think. It's hard for me. And so if you're anything like me, then we need to have these things in our lives. I call them life symbols, but things that remind us of God's faithfulness in our lives. If you ever show up in my office, which is just down the hall there, uh, you'll think like it's a thrift store or a toy shop or something because there's all this, some people refer to it as junk. It's not junk. There's all this junk on my shelves, and, 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 and you're like, why do you have a can of Spam? 
Like when the tornado comes. No, uh, you'll look and you'll see a, a pipe from this country and you'll just all kinds of stuff in my office. But, but each of those things has some meaning to me. And so when I'm struggling, when my day's going south, when stuff is hitting, all I do is spin my chair and I can look at God's faithfulness laying out on my shelves. And I do the same thing at home on my dresser and my car's a little bit of a disaster and all this because I'm a forgetful person. And so I need to have these built-in reminders of what God has done in my life. Anybody here with me, like you struggle to remember the things that God has done? Okay, so maybe I'm not alone in this. That's what we're going to do for five weeks. Two weeks we'll spend uh, looking at our stories. We'll unpack our stories. And then we'll spend three weeks laying a basis for how to live those stories out. Concept is my story. Sound good? We're going to start this morning in the book of 1 Samuel. Some of you are already concerned. It's okay. If you're using the app, by the way, the app, it has all the verses right there that we're going to use. That's an easy way to get to it. If you have your own copy of the Bible, fantastic. You'll find 1 Samuel. If you're using a Pewback Bible or U version or something like that, you'll punch up 1 Samuel. I'm using the NIV version of the Bible today, if, if that matters. I just think it reads a little easier as a story. But that's where we're going to be. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's be honest. When's the last time we read the Old Testament? When's the last time we ever even knew there was a book called 1 Samuel, right? Let me do uh, uh, one minute of history up to this point so we kind of know where we're going in 1 Samuel 16. And if you want a better version of this, by the way, at the bottom of the app, there's a link, uh, at the bottom of that notes page in the app, there's a link to Right Now Media that does a really great seven-minute review of, of everything that led up to 1 Samuel. It's a really good review. If you punch it right now, it will play, the volume will happen, and everyone will look at you. Feel free to do it now. Just kill your volume first or put in your earbuds or something like that. Or if you want to do it later when you go home or whatever, it's a great little review. But I'll just give you the Chris Carter version. Uh, back in the day, there was Adam and Eve. Remember those two? And they had babies who had babies who had babies. And, and eventually over time, God said to some of those babies, hey, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And they said, okay. And they called uh, that nation Israel. You like this so far? It's like a thousand years right there. All right. And so Israel is God's people and they're doing this thing and God's their king. And God, when he speaks to them, uh, you would usually speak like through a person. So like there'd be a person identified, and over time they called this person a prophet because he spoke for God, right? And so over time, there's a guy by the name of Samuel, who is Israel's prophet. God is talking to Samuel. Samuel's talking to Israel, and everything's really cool. Except one day, Israel wakes up, and Israel says, you know, Samuel, there's this really cool piece of technology all these other nations have. It's so cool, like everybody else has it, and we want it too. It's called a king. We want one of them. Go get us one. Like they're going, we don't have a king. I know, like God's our king, but he's not like a person. I don't know. Just all the, everyone else is doing it. All my friends have one. Yeah, uh, uh, Samuel, go get me one too. And, and so Samuel talks to God about it, and God says, okay, okay. Like, I don't think it's going to go well for you, Israel. If you get this earthly king, like, like he's going he's gonna to start leading out of his own power and he's going he's gonna to start doing things selfishly and your, your people are going to be taxed and hurt and it's going to be a burden and you're, you're going to hate it. And they go, yeah, 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 but we want one. And God says, okay. You feel like God does that sometimes? Like when we know what's good for us and we go, I want that. And sometimes God says, okay. <laughs> You ever do that with your own children? They were convinced eating 42 donuts was a great idea. 
And you go, okay, here's the bucket, <laughs> right? And so that's what happens, and that's what we get up to is this point right here. Um, and, and let me just read to you the king that they pick. It's in 1 Samuel 9. You, you can turn there. You don't have to turn there. It won't go up here. Let me just read it to you because it's kind of interesting. It says, um, they're at this point wanting a king, and they tell Samuel to go get one, and God says, okay. And says this, says, Kish had a son named Saul. That's going to be the king's name is Saul. Says he had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Like this guy is the epitome of tall, dark, and handsome, right? And so that's the king. That's that's Saul. Now they're they, they're going to do this thing where they're going to like anoint him king. And so it says this in chapter ten, verse twenty. It says when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot and brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan. And Matri's clan was taken. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was taken. Like they got this like, like rose ceremony bachelor thing going on, right? Where they're bringing all the families in front of them. And they're narrowing it down because like this whole ceremony. And they get down to Saul because that's who they want as the king. And so they're like, okay, Saul, that's the name. Do you accept this rose? No, I'm just kidding. And so in verse 22, uh, verse 21, it says, finally, uh, Saul, son of Kish, was taken But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. And so they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come yet? Is Saul here? Did did he show up? And God says, uh, yes, he's hidden himself among the luggage. Tall, dark, and handsome, king, manly man, he's hiding in the baggage. This doesn't seem like a very good start to being a king, does it? Okay, so then it finishes with this. And then they ran and brought him out. And he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than any of the others. This whole fixation with height going on, right? This tall, dark, handsome guy. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. And then they shouted, long live the king. And there it starts. And Saul's the king for a little while, and over time, Saul does exactly what God said Saul was going to do, which is he begins to turn away from God and leads out of selfishness and becomes just, uh, just, just a guy and a, and a kind of wicked guy at that. And so over time, God says, this is not working, guys. Saul is not the right king. I know you picked him. And I said, okay, but Saul's not the right king. And so it's time to get a new king, and that's when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse one. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul's not dead, he's still alive, but Samuel's feeling this sense of sadness because Saul's a, a terrible king and, and God's got to, you know, replace him and all that. So it says, how long will you continue to mourn over Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way, for I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. See what's going on? So God says, hey, I've picked a kid in Jesse's family, so go to this little backwood, know-nothing town called Bethlehem. Have you heard of Bethlehem? Some of you heard of Bethlehem. It's interesting. Hey, the little know-nothing town, go there, and, 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 and then I'll tell you which kid it is. And Samuel says, well, that's cool. But if Saul hears that I'm going to anoint a new king, I don't think he's going to be cool with that and he's going to kill me because he's kind of crazy. And God says, don't sweat it. Take a cow with you and have like a party, a barbecue, a sacrifice and invite everybody and then it'll be cool. And Samuel says this in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him and they asked, do you come in peace? 
And Samuel replied, yes, in peace I've come to the sacrifice of the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. See, so, so, so Samuel shows up and the leaders of the town, these elders, they're like a little freaked because when the, when the guy that speaks for God shows up, like you're not so sure if that's good news or not. Right, like when you were a kid and you heard over the intercom, if, if, you're, if you're young enough to have intercom, over the intercom, you know, uh, Chris Carr to the principal's office. Like the first thought is, oh dang, what did they find out I did? <laughs> Not what did I do, just what did they figure out, right? And so you're never so sure and then you go down there trying to figure out how you're going to tell your parents, no, maybe, I, right? And then you get there and he gives you like an award for perfect attendance or something and you're like, oh, okay. Well, this is it. Samuel shows up. The leaders are kind of freaked out. They're like, hey, is this good news or bad news? Samuel's like, no, it's cool, man. We're going to have a party. We're going to have barbecue. We're going to have sacrifice. It's going to be awesome. Bring everybody out, especially Jesse and his family. And so they go, okay. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. That's one of uh, Jesse's sons. And he thought, surely the, no- the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that humans look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see what's going on, right? Like Samuel shows up, party's going on, and he sees Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, firstborn, tall, dark, handsome. And Samuel says, that's him. Like, that, that's got to be, that's him, man. He looks like a king. He's built like a tank, right? And God says, no, 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 it's not him. And then this really interesting message from God, this interesting verse, these interesting words that should probably be written somewhere in our house where God says, don't look at his outside. See, I I don't look at the outside. I look at the heart. I don't look at the things that you look at. You look at Eliab and you see king material. I don't see that because I'm looking on what's inside the guy. Samuel says, okay. So jump down to verse 8. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab, that's, that's son number two, right? And had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, mm, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And then Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, uh, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Like you see what's going on? It's like the weirdest Miss America pageant ever. Right? All these boys are passing by, young, good-looking, tall, dark, handsome, strapping boys from the oldest to the youngest. And each one, Sammy goes, mm, nope, not him. And dad pushes up the next one, go, okay. <laughs> right? And he's like, no, not him. Okay, go the next. Seven boys go by. And Samuel's got to be a little worried at this point, don't you think? Because Samuel knows he's supposed to, like, identify the next king of Israel from this family. God's told him that. He's clear on that. And the boys are gone. Anybody else back there? Jesse's like, no, mm-hmm. right? Oh, what do I do? What, what do I do? Like, well, they've all gone by. And so he asks him that question. He goes, do you, you, you don't have any more sons? That seems like such a dumb question, doesn't it? Look at verse 11. So, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, they're still the youngest. Jesse answered, he, he's just out with the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. I hear in larger families, it's not uncommon to forget a kid. Is that a thing? I have two, so I, I know when one of mine's missing. We, it's a, but I hear when there's like a lot. So I guess out of eight brothers, it wouldn't have been uncommon to be forgotten, I guess. It's just kind of sad, isn't it? Like, can you picture yourself being David for just a minute? 
Like, like you're out in the field, you're doing your shepherd thing, you're being faithful, you're like watching the sheep and playing your guitar or whatever they do. And, and it's, like, it's like this thing's going on and all of a sudden someone runs to get you. Like, hey, you need to come. To what? This thing. Well, I was not invited. Right? And, and to be Jesse, right? To be called on the carpet a little bit, to be dad. He's like, well, seven sons walked by. You got any more? Oh, well, there's, there's, there's that one, but that's that one. That's why we leave him in the field. Right? I mean, what's going on? What a strange, strange episode. So Samuel says, you got more? And he says, I got, well, I got this last one, I guess. And he says, well, bring him. Like, we, won't, we won't even sit down until he gets here. And he does. And in verse 12, it says, and so he sent, and he had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So he's not like a, like, like, not like a, a runt of the litter or anything. He's a good-looking, normal kid, right? And it says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David in power. Interesting. So David shows up, and he walks in the room, this normal-looking kid, and God talks to Samuel, and Samuel goes, that's the one. That's him. And he pours oil all over this kid, which was like a mark back then. It was like a thing they did, like when they were going to set someone aside for a special purpose, they'd pour oil on him. That would be weird now, but that's kind of how they did it. And so David walks into this room in front of the brothers. That's a whole other sermon. And, and, and Samuel says, that's the one. You're the king. What a strange day for David, yeah? Shepherd, new king. What does that even mean? Hey, there's a good chance this kid at this point is like 15 years old, by the way. I, we don't know, but that's a, probably a good proximate guess. That's like a kid. Right? So much we could pull out of this. Those verses are packed with stuff that will preach. All kinds of important, vital details. I only want to pull out one thing, one point, one simple thing is this. God handpicked David. God handpicked David. David wasn't the first one to show up. David wasn't the first one to volunteer. David wasn't the oldest. David was not necessarily the logical choice. The oldest kid would have been the logical choice because the firstborn gets everything. Amen, firstborns? Maybe, all right? David wasn't even necessarily the appropriate choice. How long has David been leading in the brothers of seven? Probably not. Those older brothers were probably telling the younger brothers what to do since day one. Amen? Okay. It doesn't seem to be appropriate. It doesn't seem to be logical. And yet, God chose David because God chose David. God handpicked David. And that's the beginning of David's story. That's where we start with this kid. And this, this story that we're going to look at over the next five weeks is right at the beginning where God handpicked David. It's the beginning of his story. And the cool thing, it's the beginning of our stories too. That's the very beginning of our stories. Check out Ephesians chapter 1. Look at these things, how they, how they link. Starting in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined, that's a choosing word, 
predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one who he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Catch this. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which you believed when you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a lot of words that all say one key thing, that you were chosen. You were, cho- you were hand-picked by God. One key pull, thing I'd pull out of this entire thing is that you were hand-picked by God. It's interesting because the author here, through God's inspiration, uses the word adoption and adoption language. See, when we have biological kids, uh, in the immortal words of my kindergarten teacher, you get what you get, don't throw a fit, <laughs> Right? You get, you get the boy or you get the girl, you get the hair or the color, you get the big or the small, you kind of get what you get, right? When you have bio kids, not a lot of choosing in that. But when you adopt, it's like the ultimate choosing, isn't it? I mean, North Point has kind of this history of, of lots of families who have been involved in some capacity of foster care or adoption. It's fantastic and it's beautiful and it's choice, so as, as the author here employs this language of choosing, he's making this key idea, adoption, choosing that you were handpicked by God. Like, like we're going to, I'm going to talk for a couple more minutes and we'll sing a song and we'll be done and you go home and you're going to go to the lake and eat lunch and do all the things you're going to do today. And all I want in our heads is the very beginning of our story, which is you are handpicked by God. Handpicked by God. That's a huge piece. And you're thinking maybe in your head, you're thinking, um, Chris, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't feel very uh, handpicked. Excuse me, I'm going to cough for a second. Sorry, I didn't want to cough in the microphone there. Um, you're thinking, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm, I'm not very special. I'm kind of insignificant. Like when I come to church, I sit by myself. When I go to work, I, I'm, I sit in a cubicle. I'm just very, I'm just nobody. And I just want to say that's absolutely untrue because you are handpicked by God and you say Chris you don't know my life is a mess and I say yeah maybe it is I don't know my life's a mess some days but what's cool is that you're handpicked by God handpicked by God here's the point love it or hate it God created designed and chose you never forget it the hardest part of that is probably the never forgetting it part and so I wonder, when, when David was done being anointed with that oil, as David was chosen to be king, did, did David go and grab that, that pitcher or that horn or whatever was used to pour oil on him? Did he go up to Samuel afterwards and he go, hey, Samuel, can I, can I have that? Were you gonna, were you, is it cool if I take that? Were you just going to throw it away? Samuel's like, oh, yeah, it's a disposable pitcher. Yeah, I don't care, right? He's like, great. And did David take that and put it in his room somewhere? Did he look at it every day? Did he drink coffee out of it when he was back to shepherding? And every time he saw that, he was just reminded, 
God handpicked me. This is weird. This is crazy. I don't know what it means. I'm still shepherding. I'm a king. I'm not a king. Stahl's still the king. This is going to get weird. We'll talk about it in the next few weeks. But David, looking at that picture every day going, that's handpicked by God. See, I kind of think that he did because in a couple of weeks, we're going to, um, we're going to look at the story of David's interaction with uh, Goliath. And I don't want to ruin the end of that story for you. If you haven't heard it, it's a very cool story. But, but what we hear specifically in the scriptures at the end of that is that David takes Goliath's armor and puts it in his tent. And so every time David took down the tent and moved to a different place and repitched that tent, he would replace Goliath's armor in the tent. He just took it with him everywhere he went as a reminder. And I don't know, I'm kind of suspicious that maybe he also took the picture. And he popped that tent up and he, and he popped that, 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 that armor up and he, and he popped that picture out just to be reminded of who he was. Because we kind of tend to forget things. Matter of fact, there's an author of a book, his name is Mark Battinson, and, and he says it like this, this concept. He says, I'm afraid that the uh, art of altar making is a lost spiritual discipline. And our loss of long-term memory causes a plethora of acute spiritual problems. The primary reason we lose faith is because we forget the faithfulness of God. Maybe that's why the word remember is repeated almost 250 times in the scripture. We have a tendency to remember what we should forget and to forget the things that we should remember. And that's why God is always telling us to build altars or establish memorials. So three simple points with a couple of fill-ins. If you're using the app, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing right here. Number one, David was picked by God. It's the beginning of his story. David was picked by God. It's the beginning of his story. Second thing is that you were picked by God. It's the beginning of your story. You were picked by God. That's the absolute beginning of your story. Third thing is simply this. You have to find ways of remembering this truth. You have to find ways of remembering this truth. If you're like me, you need some physical objects sitting in your office, room, car, something, just to be reminded. We're going to sing a song. It's a new song. It's called My Story. It's by a, a band named Big Daddy Weave, if you're into that. And um, uh, I, I know it's, it's probably new for a lot of us, but I, I want you just to hear the words behind it because it's really going to kind of set a tone and a theme for the next few weeks as we talk about this concept of, of my story. So if you'd stand, we'll sing together. <laughs>